This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forrester, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Well, hello and welcome back, my friend. Man, today, Len May is joining me and uh, Len is his background right now. Just has some amazing pictures from his time in the music industry. Right now, he's inside of uh, cannabis industry. And it's not just cannabis as far as like putting stuff out there. Uh, Len wrote a book on how it's personal to you. So the man knows he's, he, he's the sciencey guy. But you got to understand, he's the cool, sciencey guy. So he's bringing the music and uh, just has an amazing story. So, Len, how are you doing today, my friend? Great, Mike. Thanks for having me. And you got an amazing voice. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> it was my dream to be a, an on air DJ, which I never got a chance to do. But well, still hey, man. We, we still have that opportunity. I mean, we've got sure. the internet. We could kick off a radio station. That's true. Let's do it. <laughs> we might have to talk about that one afterwards. Um, so, Len, if we could, where, what does life look like for you on the business side right now? It's kind of hectic because we're, we're in our Series B raise. So we're raising funds. And uh, the economy is not where it's conducive to fundraising. It was much easier to raise my series B for my company than it is to raise our, uh, or a series A than it is to raise our series B. So it literally is taking me 18 months. Now, COVID is a definitely a factor where the stock markets are a factor. The whole thing with these cannabis company going public in Canada and their stocks tanking, all those things are uh, contributors to why it's so difficult, but also you know, we're in a unique space. And you talked about cannabis. I look at us more as a health technology company. So one of the things that I've always uh, was intrigued by is this notion of personalization. And I'm, I'm afraid of doctors. I've been afraid of medicine for many years. And I remember my grandfather, when I was uh, much younger, he had a whole bunch of strokes. And he would, uh, to the point where he stopped being able to walk, uh, his right side, I think, was paralyzed. He couldn't talk and he could walk a little bit with a cane. But the one thing I always remember is he had these two bags of pills, prescription medications. And every few days and weeks, my grandmother, my mom would call a doctor. Now, this is having a side effect with this. They have to change the dosage of this. They have to change this medication. So I was always like, I don't want to take any of this stuff. And why why does one thing interact with another thing? You're taking this, but they have a pill for everything these days. So my whole thing was, how can I avoid the doctor as much as possible? Not that all doctors are bad. There's a, a tremendous amount of uh, healthcare professionals that are you know, creating a, tr- a lot of benefits for people. But for me, it's never been a one-size-fits-all model. So I was trying to figure out, how can I utilize genetics first? Like I got really into DNA. And understanding what DNA is, how it works within individuals, because everybody's like, oh, you know, you take this and it's going to change your DNA. Well, it's not true. It doesn't really work like that. 
Your DNA is your DNA. It changed the expression, like on-off switches, but it's not really DNA. So that's really my been my focus. How can we create precision medicine? So even outside of cannabis, and when we talk about cannabis, we're talking about the endocannabinoid system, but it's beyond that. It's at what kind of nutrients do I need? What kind of vitamins do I need? What is the protocol that's specific to me? And then also, how do I measure that whatever I'm taking, that precision medicine, well, how do I know that it's working for me? And how do I create this feedback loop? So that's what my company has been trying to solve or is solving. That's awesome. Yeah, because I think it's like we are individuals and what each of us needs is different. Just like how it's like the mental, emotional, and physical. We're individuals in all those capacities. And so you're dealing with that from that aspect as well. Correct. So what does it look like on the personal side of life for you right now? Well, on the personal side, I have a girlfriend. <laughs> it's really difficult for me to even say. And if she listens to this, she'll be like, oh, well, she knows. Uh, you know, I, I've have, I have commitment issues. And I'll tell you, they stem from having these disappointments throughout my life of people that I trusted that turn on me. So I came from a really abusive home. Uh, physically, mentally abusive. So when your parents turn on you, my dad was abusive. My mom was in denial about it. wasn't my protector that I needed. And I mean, I, I didn't speak to my parents for years, but I, I talk to my I talk to my parents every day now. I speak to my dad. I, I gave all that up because I no longer wanted to give him the power over me. So we have a completely different relationship on that. But you know, it's that, then it's business partners because I was giving a trusting person. So people took advantage of that too. And uh, then, you know, all these doors closed. I wasn't as open anymore because I'm always, I was concerned about, you know, being screwed over in, in business. And then, uh, then in my personal life, you know, my, my relationship, I was uh, together with my ex-wife for 18 years. And then, uh, uh, you know, she had an affair and so I had some challenges of that and sort of came out of the gate trying to prove to myself that I'm a viable person, meaning that I can still get women. And I, I don't think that I was probably the best person to be with at that time because I was just like numbers and wasn't really connecting to the, to the individuals. Uh, but I think I've gone through the journey of healing, really, really intense self-work. And we can talk about all the different things I've done. But I'm at a point where I feel much more comfortable with me, where I started attracting completely different people in my life and took the plunge and, you know, <laughs> trying this uh, relationship on for size. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. And so how did you... There's a lot in there to unpack and that I'd love to touch on. Yeah. The, the one thing that I'd like to start with is like you removed the power that you said like your dad had over you. Mm -hmm. um, I know for myself, that was one thing that I struggled with because I came from that same kind of a background with the relationship with my parents and, you know, like forgiving them, removing that hold that I was keeping myself locked in through that, that anger, how did you discover that that was, um, you know, like there was a different way to do it. In other words, your freedom was in letting them go 
not in saying that it's okay, but just giving forgiveness. I didn't know that that's what was going on with me, but I was going to this therapist and uh, he suggested one day that would you be open to bring your parents in? Yeah, grown man and probably my mid thirties or so, give or take. Mm-hmm. And I'm 50 now. And then, uh, so I went to my parents and said, Hey, would you be willing to come and see, you know, my shrink with me? Like, ah, oh, we don't believe in that stuff. And, but for you, we'll go do that. Okay, fine. Great. Thank you for doing me a favor. So uh, <clears throat> the scene is as follows. So I'm sitting next to the therapist. My parents, my dad is sitting across from the therapist. My mom is next to my dad, uh, sort of sheepish. He's aggressive as usual. And, uh, you know, my therapist is asking questions. My dad's giving snarky remarks because he's bothered that he's there. And at one point he goes, you really want to know about Len? Let me tell you about Len. Mm. And he begins to tell this story. Now, I do not remember this. This was a story when I was three years old. So I remember after he told the story, I started remembering bits and pieces, but I did not remember this at all. So I was born in Lithuania, which is, uh, uh, it used to be part of the Soviet Union, but it was, uh, it's a Baltic state uh, country. And I immigrated when I was six years old. So I'm three years old. We're living in our place, wherever that was. And there was a little street behind it. My dad's telling the story and there was a store behind that. So my mom and I walk over to the store. I asked her to buy me stuff and I'm three years old and I didn't, she said no or something. And I had a fit. And then for some reason, she didn't see me. And I walked out of the store, walked across a little street and went to my neighbors who used to watch me while my parents were at work. My mom was like, oh my God, you know, where do you go? And the, the lady is like, I saw him walk out. So she knew, I guess, where I was, where I went. And then she's like, oh, wait till your dad gets home. So my dad tells a story as, and I don't remember if it was with his hand or with a belt. I think it was with a belt. So he's telling the story as he, it's time for my punishment. And he starts hitting me with a belt and I wouldn't cry. So he hit me, he's hitting me harder and I wouldn't cry. So my dad goes, that's the kind of man Len is, I would no matter what, he wouldn't cry. And that moment, I, it was sort of my like my aha moment where I realized I'm like, oh, you try to beat that out of me, that emotion. For years and years and years, I wouldn't cry. No emotion. Like I was trying to be, you know, emotion is weakness. And at that point, I'm sitting there and I have tears like, like coming down my eyes. I'm like, aha. You're never going to do that to me again. You're never going to own that over me. It's not going to hold. So I had these conversations with my dad afterwards. I said, hey, you know, this is what happened. This is how I felt. And I never ha- I had this conversation with my dad before. And he's like, look, you know, there was no book written, even though there was plenty of books written on how to raise your kids. But all right. There was no book written. Fine, dad. There's no book written or he chose not to. He did. He's like, I'm sorry if I made mistakes. I did the best I could and I may have done things wrong. And at that moment, I was just like, clear, done. We're good. And we hugged it out. And it was not all that power that he held over me, all that anger, all that rage, everything just went away. And then I directed to my mom, who's in denial over anything that happened. So I still have that. She's still in denial. <laughs> but my, my dad and I are cool. <laughs> it's a work in progress, just like we all are, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh man. 
so you talked about um like as far as trusting people um mm. was that something that came out of your childhood because of the the way you were raised by your parents and then continued on through like your marriage or can you yeah. look back and say like hey this was the kind of the trajectory that it took yeah i think i think trust is built early on in life where the people that are supposed to protect you are there to protect you. And when you're in a household and you know this stuff, when you're in a household that, you know, you're, I've, I was diagnosed with ADD when I was a teenager. So my mind goes in different places and, you know, sometimes I have a hard time focusing. I, and I created systems around that. I was an ADD coach for exec- executive. So I got it down, but it's my superpower now. But at that point, I didn't know. So think about the scenario where you're you're having dinner with your No matter where you are, you have to have dinner with your parents as a family, which is fine, but you can't speak. There's no talking at the dinner table. So I am already, I want to say stuff. I, I like to talk. No talking. So because I can't talk, I need to do something else. So I would rock back and forth on my chair. My dad would tell me to stop rocking once, twice, and the third time I would get a backhand. So when you uh, when you have this, you know, living in this environment where all of a sudden there could be some flying at you unexpectedly, and the 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 punishment doesn't fit the crime, I guess, or some of that. Because being a parent now, I can kind of see, you know, you can escalate some things. But I think it started with that. And then, and if I was philosophically looking at myself, I think there's a lot of manifesting that was going on because of the concern and fear of getting screwed over and and not trusting, I would invite these opportunities to myself. So I I take ownership of that uh, as well and and closing my eyes on certain things and in business that happened. And then, then, yeah, in my relationship, I, I would say... The, the thing that I will own is lack of that affection because in my house, we didn't have this, I love you. Let me give you a hug and kiss. Like we didn't have this warmth that I try to give my daughter. So in, in my relationship with my ex-wife, for instance, if we were showing affection, like I took it as a sign as, oh, that means we're having sex. Like I didn't understand like I didn't understand yeah. that you can just you can just be affectionate towards it. I didn't understand that, right? I never experienced that before. And also having this relationship where yelling at each other, it's what I grew up with. That's that's a relation. That's what I knew. So, you know, I I I contributed my what I brought, all the garbage that you bring from your child, contributed that to the relationship. I'm not saying the that I'm the cause of this. She's accountable for her own actions, but you know, I did make a contribution to that and uh, that lack of trust all the way through because I found out my, my ex-wife was having an affair. And uh, I even thought that I would be able to key, hold it together uh, during that time. And, you know, and th- that wasn't, that wasn't a good, a good idea. I'm not saying it's for everybody. People work things out, but it wasn't for me. So, uh, yeah, so trust is definitely, it still is something I struggle with uh, a lot. So when something like that happens, like when, you know, you're talking about your wife has an affair, Mm -hmm. a lot of us will look at it and go, see, that's the reason you can't trust people. And you're looking for those validation, right, for the way you feel. 
how do you move beyond that? I mean, I get that you're still working through it. Mm-hmm. What does that process look like for you? And, you know, how, how do you continue to move beyond into trusting people? I mean, it's, it's years of work, but at first the, the, it, it's heavy on you. So you, you try to think, what did I do? I, it, it's me. I contribute. I didn't satisfy her sexually or, or whatever that is, you know, it might, so I'm going to prove to myself that I am viable as a man. So I'm going to go and I'm going to be with as many women as possible and, you know, put up my numbers and say, oh, see, I can still get women. I'm good. So you're satisfying your ego. And when I realized at some point that it's not me, it had nothing to do with that. It's her whatever insecurities, whatever validation that she needed, that was her has nothing to do with me. I'm just, there's an excuse built in that it's me. I I, obviously I made some sort of contribution as I, as I said, but the reason for that is not directly me. Now, when I came to that realization and I got into helping people going through their divorces. So I helped my buddy out and then he suggests I help his cousin out and when I say help, just talking, because there was really no support for men at that time. I didn't find anything. Uh, so he's like, hey, maybe you can start a group. I'm like, ah, who the hell was going to listen to me? Who am I? He's like, ah, you know, just try. So he allowed me, he had a big uh, house, and he allowed me to use space in his house. And I did a meetup. And uh, the group was called Rebuilding Your Life After Divorce. And it was a men's group. And the first time I had a, a group, five people showed up. And I studied, I'm like, this is how you hold a group. Two minutes, somebody keeps time, somebody speaks and don't interrupt and had all these rules. Like, all right, I wasn't sure what I was doing. And then I get back and I get emails from women saying, "Um, is this a men's group only? I was like, no, let's invite women. So I had that for four years and like over 800 people joined the group. And um, this was part of my therapy because I knew that I wasn't alone. I would hear other people's stories. And I was like, oh, wow, that happened? Craziness. And, and, and I started like connecting to the human experience of all these people. And it was really, really helpful for me to go through their stories and uh, from their perspectives and sort of uh, start realizing in myself you know, this is not all about me and, and, and the forgiveness and the forgiveness happens for, for yourself first. And this was the thing that I had to kind of realize that I need to forgive me. I need to work on me. I need to give myself love. My, you know, every once in a while you move through life so fast, you don't give yourself a chance to pat yourself in the back sort of experience. I, I was homeless at one point in my life where am I now? So all these things were, yes, it's a work in progress. And, and I did, you know, I think some of the things that really helped besides that group, I did the, a bunch of Tony Robbins events, the full immersion stuff, and it really helped. And I get into a lot of personal development. People can think it's hokey or not. Fine. Take from it what you want. I take everything, bits and pieces. Uh, I did Kabbalah. I did Joe Dispenza. I did uh, Tony Robbins. I, all these things and not all of them are 
perfect. Uh, some of them I thought was cheesy, it didn't connect with me. But if I can take bits and pieces of everybody and implement it into my process in my life, that that's my that's my work. Yeah, because if we don't start looking outside of what we know, we're just going to repeat exactly what we've been doing and get the same same results, which right. is more more pain compounded on more pain compounded on more pain. Um, you had talked about forgiving yourself. And I know for me personally, Manlin, that was like one of the hardest things, I think, because I knew what I had done. I could, like once I started being aware of what I had done rather than just like that Eeyore um, kind of victim mindset, woe is me, then I could see, oh, hey, I did impact other people. How did you go about starting to work through forgiving yourself? And I mean, it's a, it's a process. I get that. How do you, how do you begin doing that? Take ownership. You know, a lot of things, a lot of things I use as a crutch. Well, it's because I was quote unquote abused. Well, it's because, uh, you know, I got screwed over or it's because somebody robbed me or it's, it's always because something else. And I, I think it's, I am accountable for me, my actions, no matter what the situation is, I'm a contributor to that situation. And I started kind of realizing what, that I was making a contribution, but I was not giving myself love. I didn't know how to do that. I really didn't understand how do I, what do you mean? Give myself love. What does that even mean? And, and it started with that whole notion of understanding and, uh, you know, writing down things that it, that I really like about myself. I never even sat down and thought about what do I like about myself? What, uh, because I was brought up with this whole thing of, you don't brag. It's ego. You don't talk about yourself in that way. You, you don't, you don't say, Oh, I, I, I don't, don't start anything with the word I. And sometimes you need to do that. And sometimes you need to really give yourself that love. And I think there's a big difference between being in love with yourself and giving yourself love. Right. So, you know, I like my ex is on the on the spectrum of uh, the loving yourself instead of giving yourself love, like the narcissistic side. Uh, so you take, take, take. And I think that by by giving, by learning your sense of purpose and how can I make a contribution to other people's I've gotten back. Everybody says this and this is uh, this is the whole, you know, uh, you give, you get. But. I mean, when, when I get emails and I get phone calls from people that said, hey, you really impacted my life, it immediately says, let me take this in. Wow, this feels really good. And I want more of that. It's addicting. I want to do more of that because I get it back. And so what? And if it's selfish in some way, okay, it's selfish. But is it selfish in a positive way? I'm given something, I'm getting something back. So, and that's... That's the process that, you know, I, I'm going through all the time. And I still need that reminder. Like uh, my daughter says, hey, dad, you know, you, you take a break because I, I get I get really in uh, deep into things. Even my parents, my dad's like, when you're finished this part of the round, take off three. Don't even check your phone. Go away somewhere. That kind of thing. So I have a hard time doing that. I'm learning how to work through that. But but forgiveness myself is is acceptance of me as a flawed person who is a work in progress 
with recognizing these uh, advances in my work, meaning that I started here, I made a contribution, I made it to the next level, pause for a second and recognize I made it to the next level, pat yourself on the back, literally, maybe figuratively, and then move on to the next level. Don't gloss over those things. And that's my process. Are you, when you look back at your journey or like some of the other people that have been within the group, um, the support group, did you see where they would make progress, slip up and then beat themselves up? Is that kind mm-hmm. of something you saw and you're, you're nodding your head. So yeah, I, all the, all the time. I mean, people yeah. slip up and we're, we're all going to slip up. I slip up not perfect. I, I try not to raise my voice when I have my daughter and sometimes I do. And instead of sitting back and saying, oh man, it's me again. I'm messing up again. I made a mistake. I own that mistake. Let me see if I can improve that. And let me go over and tell her, hey, I'm sorry, honey. I made a mistake. I didn't want to do that. I'm going to improve on that. How did it affect you? Let's let's talk about that kind of thing. So yes, we're not perfect. We're far from, I'm far from it. But you got to recognize, you got to recognize your progress. You know, it's that's that's the thing for me. It's, let's, it's okay to take a step backwards, but take two step forward. So you're always moving ahead, and don't beat yourself up too much about making mistakes. We we'll all make mistakes. Don't don't linger in it, and don't make things worse than they. Like I have this tendency sometimes. You know, this funding route. We had a wire that was being sent. The wire disappeared. Nobody could find it. Everything was done on the right side. I was like panicking. There was all these things and people, and I couldn't find it. And then on this, this just happened uh, on last week. And I, in the weekend started and people were like, well, we're, my parents and other people in my life. Uh, how do you feel? I said, you know what? I'm, I'm not even thinking about it. It's going to fix itself. It's not the end of the world. And if I don't get on Monday, here's my contingency plan. I already have three things I need to do. But you're in the moment, I was reactive. And I think like taking a, a beat and a pause and saying, what can I do to respond to the situation? As long as I'm not making it in my head worse than it is, I'm not saying it's good, it's bad, it's a mistake, it happened. You know, we'll, we'll figure it out. But that beating yourself up mentally, oh my God, it's the end of the world. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to pay my creditors. People aren't going to get paid. What's like all that stuff? That's your mind, you know, believing that this is really what's going on. And these are all hypothetical situations because they haven't happened. So that's the beat that I need to take to respond instead of react. So it's like when I mess up, take responsibility for it, take a step out, recognize my progress, but don't berate myself. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great way of putting it for sure. Cool. Um, so you had talked about um, being homeless at one point. Mm-hmm. How did you get from being homeless to where you're at now? I mean, because it's like, um, you know, people will look at, hey, this is where I'm at. This is who I am. And I'm destined to stay here. You're definitely not homeless right now. <laughs> no, I'm I'm a CEO of a $30 million company. And I'm not saying this to, to brag or anything. I'm saying that I'm still on this mission. Yeah. I was, uh, and what happened was uh, I discovered cannabis early on in my life uh, because it was an alternative to the medication they put me on for ADD. I had no idea there was medicine for anybody else. 
I just took it for me. And when I went, I actually hung out with these older kids. They asked me if I wanted to smoke a cigarette. And I was like, cool, I'm going to be a cool kid with the older kids. I'm going to smoke a cigarette. And I started dabbling cigarettes. I should have known they only have one cigarette thought something was odd, but I didn't think about it. So, so we, got, we got around and they started passing this one cigarette around. It got to me. I took a drag, inhaled, coughed. Like this doesn't taste like the cigarette I tasted before. So I had to make sure. So I took another one, uh, same thing. And they're laughing at me like, ah. so they filled weed in the, in the cigarette. But I went, when I went back to class, my, my ADD is like, uh, I have windows that open up in my head and I'm focusing on this and that, but all the windows narrowed and I could focus. I was like, oh, so it became my go-to medicine. I kept getting caught, uh, you know, at home for smoking and my, my parents didn't want that. So long story short, at one point, um, I went I went out to a club. I, I think, uh, uh, by the way, I just want to preface that I wasn't the best kid. I partied. I had fake ID. Uh, you know, I, I did all kinds of different things, but I wasn't a bad kid, but I, I needed to be out of the house as much as possible. So I went to a club. Then we decided to go fishing in the middle of the night, like three o'clock in the morning. And I came home like six, seven, I went to sleep. And then in the afternoon, I woke up and my parents were sitting there in the kitchen and they had, I had a little pouch that I kept in my car that had like, a little bit of weed, my pipes, whatever. And they have the pouch on the table. They're like, oh, we told you not to bring this uh, stuff in the house and all that. So I didn't bring in the house. It was my car. Well, my dad's like, the car is on my property. I'm like, yeah, but I didn't bring in the house. All right. So they went in my car, got the stuff. And so what are we going to do about you? I'm like, I don't know. I don't care. Like, what if we call the cops? Like, all right. So they call the cops. So I literally called the cops on me. My, uh, two female cops came and they're like, oh, we'll do this. And I said, not gonna, it's a misdemeanor and I can't do anything. You really want to file paperwork. I'm a minor. Uh, and the woman's like, well, if it was my son, I would just kick him to the curb. So when they left, you know, throughout threw out my stuff, my dad said, you have five minutes to get your stuff. So literally, I took a suitcase of clothes, whatever I could pack in five minutes, and he literally kicked me out the door. So I had a little bit of money, not much, uh, maybe $500. I had, uh, um, and I had my clothes and I had a car. So the first couple of nights I went to motel rooms, I slept in motel rooms. Then, uh, so I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like I'm homeless. Like I'm living in a, in a, in a tent in the street. So I wasn't as homeless as, uh, you know, the definition of homeless that somebody, but I'll, I'll tell you the exact story. So uh, from there, the girl I was seeing at that time, her friend went to Italy for a month. So she's like, Hey, I know how to get into her house. So for a few weeks, we crashed at this girl's house. We broke in and crashed uh, in her house. Then uh, a couch served for a while, uh, you know, my different friends and then parents will call up and like, you have to leave. This kid can't stay here that long, you know? So it was a lot of that. And then my grandmother allowed me, she allowed me to stay on her couch after all that. And then I got a job at Tower Records for those of you younger people it used to be the greatest record store in the world. So I was a cashier there. And then my grandmother gave me enough money for the security deposit on an apartment. So I finally got, I mean, one of the worst apartments you can have. Uh, it was a basement apartment in a building where every single time it rained, my apartment would flood. 
So I called the office. They come up with a shop vac. They suck out all of the carpet, but everything underneath was rotten and smelled like mold. I had mold everywhere and I had roaches everywhere. Uh, so yeah, it, it, yeah, it was an experience. So from there, you know, it's a journey. I did I worked so many places and, and just, just so maybe to motivate some people. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I think I did know what I wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to go to do something with music and I ended up going to physical therapy school instead because somebody said, it's a steady gig. You'll get it. You'll, you'll be a physical therapist. You'll make $65,000 a year when you graduate. I never worked as a physical therapist in my life, but all these journeys, I, I went to work for a company called Price Waterhouse. People may know uh, I did that. I did some venture capital work. Uh, I had all these jobs. I was a commercial real estate broker, but at the end of the day, I, I'm a contributor. Like I want to give and help. And cannabis was the first thing, you know, that connected me to a way to be able to give to people. So I got into the dispensary space when I moved to LA 12 or 13 years ago, whatever it was. And that was sort of the beginning of my journey. And music is still a big part of my life. And even though I don't work in music, uh, I did for, for a while, but I, I get my fill of music. So what I'm trying to, what, what I'm trying to, say to people is all these things that you you do in your life can still connect to your passion no matter where you are in your life and all those things are not for naught there's skill sets that you're going to be able to use and when you find that passion it's it gets you up in the morning and even the hard days and it's it's not easy being an entrepreneur regardless and even in the hard days you can get an email from somebody you can talk to somebody and say hey somebody with cancer or somebody that's sick or somebody's mom or, or child or some of that, it feeds your soul and you connect to the purpose of why you're doing this in the first place. Cause you're making a contribution. And that's, that's the way the money starts coming in. That's the way you become, you know, quote unquote successful, whatever that, uh, that means in people's eyes, but it's, it's that, it's that um, pull instead of push. So I was always hungry. And I think that, I think that's the secret sauce is, is having that that desire and hunger to be better, to improve. I want to be better tomorrow than I was today. And it, it feeds me. I can't like can't sleep at night. I want to be better. I want to do what else can I do? What else can I do? And if you have that hunger, I mean you can make it out of anywhere. And we get too complacent in life where, as you said, Mike, you know, what happens to you sort of meander, you go back, oh, and you keep repeating the same pattern. And it, you do repeat the same pattern. And even as you move in your journey, you repeat certain things, but catch yourself. Oh, I'm doing that again. And don't beat yourself. Say, okay, got it. Let me let me modify that. So I think it's that pull of your passion connected with that drive and hunger competitive, maybe nature, proving whatever that is. If I need to prove, I think part of it's proving my dad that I'm, you know, that I can be successful, quote unquote. So that's, uh, that's part of the journey too. Yeah. And what I think is interesting is it's like, you've gone these different places, right? Well, we'll kind of wander, so to speak, but you're now collectively bringing all those skills, all the the talent that you've gained through these different things that you've done now to what you're doing. And you may be the one of a kind, you know, gifted guy who's in your space because of those experiences. And without something, 
you could have totally missed it and not had that that skill that ability to bring to bear to what you're doing now and it's like so often i think when we're going in the midst of it we don't see it like you working at tower records when you talked about tower records i'm like <laughs> yeah, there's the music you know kind of like checkbox okay there's the passion the desire that came for that um so i just i think that's awesome um, i think one of the i think one of the worst things that we get into is complete complacency we get comfortable and i want to be uncomfortable i don't like being comfortable if i'm comfortable too comfortable I'm like i gotta i gotta check myself what's going on how can i make myself a little bit more uncomfortable not too uncomfortable it has to do with flow like i took this class uh on flow yeah. uh, steven codler uh, i'll give a shout out to uh to steven like he has this flow research collective and one of the things that i learned is where we're best in flow and flow uh the way i described and maybe you have a better definition but it's sort of like basketball players say you know i i can shoot in the the basket like a swimming pool can't miss from anywhere it's where all your neurochemicals are firing in perfect sequence basically so you are you're in your your flow state that's your ideal state of performance and different people have different you know prep for the, those flow states but when you're in that state a, you're performing at your optimal level and when there's the the way to kind of prep yourself is to push yourself a little beyond your comfort zones you're going a, a step beyond it but not too far when it's too difficult and you're like ah, i can't reach that let me sit back on the couch so by pushing yourself a little bit more like i like hiking for instance so i hike a lot but instead of me going to you know, whatever the top peak is, I'll go and I'll push myself a little bit more instead of going right to the top where I'm, I'm going to fail and I'll be miserable. I'm like, ah, I'm not, I'm no good. I'm not good enough. I can't succeed. So you push yourself a little bit and then it feels good because you were able to achieve that and it's still achievable. And so it's, it's that kind of movement, as you were saying, all these different skill sets, it's, it's, it's saying, okay, I can sit in a corporate job and it's good, and I can make X amount of money, and it's fine. I feel comfortable, but I feel uncomfortable when I'm comfortable. And I'm not bad. So for some people, it's perfect. For me, it's not. So knowing yourself and what it is that you know your your sort of comfort zone. That's you know stay within those boundaries, but push yourself a little bit beyond that. Have you taken different assessments, or is it just you've been self aware, kind of looking to say like? Hey, when I do this, I am comfortable or I'm not uncomfortable, or this is where I, I flex the most, you know, so to speak, you find your gifting because sometimes we'll buy into, this is who I've been labeled as, this is who I must be. And you're talking about, you know, being aware of, of pushing yourself be, beyond your, your comfort zone a little bit, just a stretch. How do you discover that? Well, I mean, personal development is you, you have to work on yourself. So it, you were asking about assessments. I, I take all of them as my, you know, from, from the Myers-Briggs to, uh, I mean, even Michael Bruce has an assessment on sleep. I take every single thing. I'm the guinea pig in my company. I do everything. Uh, Quote-unquote biohack, every single DNA test, microbiome test, all these things because I want to improve myself. So I don't know where it comes from. I have no idea. 
you may know childhood, maybe there's a gene for it that we haven't found yet. I have no idea, but I don't like, I, I need to move. And, and those things, what can I do to be better? And I think it's that and, and knowing yourself and, and then challenging the notion of this is where I am today. So I'm stuck here. Okay. I'm an ENTF or J, whatever it was, that must be me or, or I'm a Taurus. So that is my Taurus trait. I am lazy. I like nice things. I am, uh, I don't know, whatever, uh, stubborn. That was a big trait. Okay. That's it. I just laid my, myself with all these things. I took that in. I uh, cognitively believe that. So that's me. I'm good. I sit in the couch because my, my horoscope told me that I'm, I'm lazy. So you believe in those things that people tell you, you believe in the things you read. I tend not to. And I say, even if I am, I don't like that. What can I do to improve? So what class can I take? What can I read? What can I listen to? You know, years ago, I, I was a big fan of Jim Rohn, who's, uh, uh, he, I guess he was a motivational, I don't know, motivational speaker, would you say? Uh, it's yeah. the, the guy that motivated like Tony Robbins and, right. uh, as well. But one of the things, so I was at a seminar with, with you know, with, they have tapes and all this stuff. And this guy who it was asking me, he's like, what do you listen to when you drive? I'm like, man, music. I love music. Uh, I listen to goes. So you like making other people money. What do you mean? Well, it's what you know. Every single time you listen to Aerosmith or whatever it is, they're getting five cents. This is back in the day when radio, you know, didn't have that. I'm like, what do you listen to? He goes, books on tape. Hmm. I'm learning how to make money for me instead of making. I was like, oh, so. You know, I live in LA and it's traffic everywhere all the time. Everybody knows the cliche of LA traffic, the three. Was, I, it's my personal development time. So when I drive, I have a hard time reading books because like they put me to sleep and my ADD, I can't concentrate. But listening to Audible or something like that, oh my God, I, lo- I love that stuff. So to me, if I'm driving for an hour, unless I'm like, I have to be there on a certain time. If I'm driving for an hour, it's personal development time. I feed my brain with that stuff. So that's, that's a way to be able to, you know, feed, 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 constantly learn, take information and then apply action. There's too many people that, you know, I've, I've run these groups before and I've talked to people and even, even in meetings, like people follow through, I think is the biggest thing that people um, don't connect with. We have conversations and people chalk it up. They're just flaky follow through and follow up just because you read something and you took an assessment or you learned something. If you don't follow through and follow up on it and continue to do that, it's going to go away. So you have to put it into practice. And when you say you're going to do something, be a person of your word and don't be flaky, follow up, follow through. And that's the way, you know, you start building this uh, rapport with other people. You're going to show up. I had, I had a, uh, a CEO of a company tell me recently, um, he goes, you're a pusher. And I don't know if he meant it in a negative or positive way, not a drug pusher, but because I am relentless. Like I'm going to not, and and there's a fine line. You got to read the room where you become annoying, but I'm relentless. Like when I feel something needs to get done, I will follow up and I'll follow through and I'll 
be nonstop about that because I'm passionate about it and I'm going to go all the way through. And some people just give up, you know, and that's, that's the goal. It's not, don't give up. You know, the, the, I think, what is the quote? The light is brightest right on the other side of dark, whatever that is. When it's really dark, then it's really bright on the other side. So when it's really dark, don't worry about it. Just stick with it because the light's going to come kind of thing. Yeah. You're, you're just like six inches from it. It's like, keep going. Cause you never know when it's going to change. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I, I could have persevered for six months and all I needed was six months and two days. And that would have cracked things. So yeah, mm. we're, we're just right there on the cusp so many times. Well, then how can people uh, get in touch with you outside of the podcast, my friend? Yeah. So um, I'm Len May and all the social, I think, Len May, L-E-N-M-A-Y, D-N-A on Instagram, but Len May, L-E-N-M-A-Y everywhere else. Uh, name, my company is called Endocana Health. Our website is EndoDNA, E-N-D-O-D-N-A. I have a podcast called Everything is Personal. So if somebody wants to check that out, it's everywhere you, you listen to podcasts. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm available and I'm responsive. So, yeah, you know. And I was going to say, um, it's... <laughs> dude, Len, I have totally enjoyed our conversation. And I'm like, I really want to go down that trail of like, all right, how did you get from tower records into music? <laughs> Cause it's like, it's one of those of, you know, so often it's like, you know, just like you talked about earlier, we can be comfortable. You could have stayed as that cashier, but you didn't, I mean, you're in a completely different place now. And, uh, you know what it is, you know, what it is, Mike, it's making yourself available to opportunity and recognizing when it it comes by accident but not accident yeah. even in music i was in a real estate transaction with a guy in california when i was in philly and he was an attorney didn't didn't know anything when i moved to la he was a guy that i, I knew from real estate mm-hmm. we got together for lunch i never even asked what kind of attorney because he was a real estate investor and he was a, a music clearance attorney for disney and when he said music clearance, like clearing tracks for like the pirates movies and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. As soon as he said that light bulb moment, I was like, wait, you're in a music industry and you do what? And I'm like, I don't know anything about that. I want to learn. So you humble yourself to the, please teach me what you know, and I'll give you whatever, whatever I can, but be aware of opportunity and, and then push through that. So that they just come to you, but you have to, be, you have to prep yourself for those. Very cool. <laughs> Lynn, thank you so much, my friend. Really you, appreciate Mike. you joining me today, sharing you. your story, your you. insight, and your encouragement, man. Thank you. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. It helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode. And remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.